Okay, so just a couple of things before we start. Things are thing we're coming to the point now where things are going to get things are moving a little quicker with the building and it's going to get a little uncomfortable. Um, so you know right after VBS the 17th, um, 17th is a Monday, they're going to begin the parking lot. And so parking was what we tried to do before is what we're going to do, you know, coming those Sundays. So it's probably, they're telling me it's going to be two weeks and that's only two Sundays, not three Sundays. So uh, that we'll have to do that. And then the parking lot will be completely done, completely striped, completely everything. Um, this Wednesday night is going to be the last Wednesday night in Exodus for the next month. Um, next Wednesday night, uh, wait a minute. Yeah, next Wednesday night is VBS, so we won't have anything on VBS. The Wednesday night following, Josiah and Brianna Peterson are going to come and share. They're going, they're leaving in August to go uh, to a two-year training for their missionary endeavor in uh, Indonesia, uh, where they're going to be translating the Bible into new into new uh, unlearn, un, unknown languages. I mean, somebody knows them, but they don't know them. You know, and they're going to be uh, just coming and they're going to take that time and just share about their mission, share about what, what they're going to be called to be doing. And it's going to be very, very, very good. The following, the third Wednesday in July, we are, um, that is the third Wednesday in July. The next, the last Wednesday in July, we are not going to have any Wednesday night activities because Hutton is going to shut down this whole north hallway, and that's when they're going to be carp new carpeting, new walls, you know, all that stuff in the north hallway. So there won't be any way, any way to get in. What's the yep. date on that? When it's going to start? No gate to get in and all. The last Wednesday of July, whatever that date is, I'm not sure. So that'll just be for that one week. 26. The 26th, is that what it is? Okay, good, 26th. That'll just be for that one week. And then the first week of August, Wednesday, will be the quarterly business meeting because we can't do it on the last week of July. So it's gonna be, gonna be a bit before we get back in Exodus. And after tonight, and we just go through all of these high priestly garments, you, you might say amen to that, that we won't be back in it ever. <laughs> So what I'm going to try to do then tonight, since this is going to be this is going to be the last one for a little while, we're going to pick right back up and we're going to finish. Um, I want to try to get through all of chapter 28 tonight. I don't have any videos for you tonight or anything, but we're we're not going to do it exactly like we have been, where we go verse by verse, and you know I'm not going to you know we're going to have to move quickly and so we're not going to just go through every little minutia every little gold cord that's on the you know we're just going to hit the hit the high points uh you, you remember where we left off where's moses right now as he was getting last time we talked about his instruction to build the tabernacle where's moses when he's taking this instruction he's on the mountain absolutely moses on the mountain he's by himself he is um 
hearing from the Lord, hearing the instructions from the Lord, and uh, he is getting basically the instructions on how to build the tabernacle, how to do all these things, uh, how the people are to prepare to worship God, and how God is going to go with them to the land. He's going to use the tabernacle, and they're going to pick it up and take it with them and all those things. And in 26 and 27, we saw the instructions for the tabernacle. And in 28, God is going to tell Moses how the high priestly garments are to be made. Now, just like, like I said a minute ago, just like with the making of the tabernacle, there's going to be a lot of minute details uh, where God is telling them specifics about this kind of cord needs to be this way and this kind of, this, sorry, this kind of uh, linen needs to be on this thing and how it's going to function and all that stuff. In fact, to be honest, until we get to chapter 32, we're going to have a lot of detailed instructions about a lot of different things. Uh, so in order to keep moving at a decent pace where we're not just bogged down in all the details, probably not going to just zero our focus on every single minute detail. Um, there's a lot of detail here, and frankly, there's a lot of Hebrew terms that are debated in this. And so what we're going to do is I'm gonna, we're going to get the big picture of these garments of the high priest, and then we're going to focus in on some of the details that are important for the high priest garments and what they mean for us today as believers. Okay? Y'all with me? Alright. So what these things do, the high priest's garments, they do exactly the same thing that the tabernacle did. They show us and teach us about the nature of God and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So it's no surprise about what we're going to be talking about. So as we look at the high priest's garments, God's going to make it clear, basically... The, the big le I keep doing that, I'm sorry. The big lesson is that um, uh, Israel just can't come into God's presence except through the tabernacle, except through sacrifice, except through what we're going to see today, a mediator. A mediator is necessary. The priest is going to represent God to the people. And he's going to represent the people before God. And so God commands that this priest, this high priest, we're going to talk mostly about the high priest's garments and then a little bit later about all the other priest's garments. He is to be dressed in a certain way that reflects his function and his role. And once again, we're going to see that the garments that he wears, the high priest wears, they all point to our perfect high priest in Jesus Christ. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to read um, a, a section at a time. And I'm just going to read the whole section. And then we're going to hit a few high points and then move to the next section. Y'all with me? All right. Sounds good. So in the verses 1 through 5, basically all he does really is talk about who these priests will be. And he gives a summary of all the garments, and he'll go into detail later in the chapter. He says to Moses, Then bring near to you Aaron your brother and his sons with him for among, from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests, Aaron and Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty, you shall speak with to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill. That's going to be important later in a few chapters. That they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make. A breast piece, 
an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkerwork, a turban, and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brothers, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. So basically, it's just really a summary of all the garments that he's fixing to talk about in chapter 28. So God deems Aaron to be the first high priest. And also Aaron is to be the father of the line of priests that will come after. So the priesthood was passed down from father to son. You couldn't get it because you were rich or because you vied for it or because of political maneuvering. It was God who chose the priesthood. And we'll see that that's going to be the Levite tribes. In these first five verses, the garments of the high priest are really just introduced. And he's going to go into depth in chapter 28. But before we describe the look and the purpose of the garments. I want to make sure you see how God describes these garments. In verse 2, he says that these garments are holy garments and they are garments for glory and for beauty. So holy means what? Yeah, it means consecrated, set apart, set apart for, uh, for holy service. So Later, he's going to say everything in the tabernacle, all the utensils, all the stuff, they're holy, meaning they're not for common use. They're set apart for God's service. They were garments that Aaron, it set Aaron apart, or the high priest apart, for his priestly duties to God. They were holy clothes, which represented the holy calling of the high priest, of Aaron, to stand before God and represent the people of God in God's presence. And as he did all his priestly duties, you know, as he made sacrifices, as he lit the lampstand, as he did all the things that the priest does, uh, these garments set him apart as the representative of Israel. He was their mediator. Okay? They're holy. But they're also for glory and for beauty. What do you think that means? Just off the top of your head. I mean, we know what, what does glory mean? It means several different things, but what does glory mean? When you think of glory, what do you think of? What comes to mind? Honor. Huh? God. Yeah, you think God, for Exalt. sure. Exalting. Exalted. You think of bright light, you know, glory, the glory of the Lord shone round about them. You think, you know, but the word means weighty. It means, in, in Hebrew, it means, it means weighty, but it does, it does mean those other things. So it's a weighty thing when you see, you know, it's an honored thing. It's a glorious thing when you see the, the presence of God, you know, the, the glory of the Lord shone round about them and all those things. And so it was for glory and for beauty. Um, these clothes that the high priest wore, um, they represented his holy calling as we said before, um, and they were made of the same materials, we're going to find out as we read in those first five uh, verses, made of the same materials as the inner lining of the tabernacle. Remember, it was made of linen, made of purple scarlet yarn, all those kind of things. So it was made, uh, made to reflect the glory and the beauty of both God's house 
and God's name. So you've got the inner tabernacle, the inner lining, which was linen and beautiful and cherubim all over, scarlet yarn. But you had this, this ephod, this, this tunic, basically, which was made of the same material. It was representing God's house. Uh, the priest can only enter into God's presence reflecting the holiness and the perfection and the glory and the beauty of God Himself. And that's what these garments represented. They didn't make Him holy as far as Aaron's no longer a sinner. It reflected the beauty and the glory and the holiness of God. So not only does the priest represent the people before God as he goes into before God, but he also, because of the glory and the beauty and the holiness and the same uh, fabric and, and, and look as the tabernacle, he also represents God to the people. So he is the mediator. He is the one who represents the people to God. He's the one who represents God to the people. But it also shows us something else. The people, once again, through the priest's clothes are also again reminded you can't come into the presence of God without someone to mediate for you. Remember we talked about that in the tabernacle. No, almost none of the Israelites throughout Israelite history ever went into the tabernacle. None of them. The Levites, the priests, were able to go into the holy place, but none of them were able to go into the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in there, and he could only go in there one time a year. And, and so you see this picture of, yes, I'm going to be with you. I am your God. I am going to go with you to the land. But you can't worship me rightly without a mediator. You can't come before my presence without a mediator. You can't come before me without someone to represent you who is, in this case, decked out in holiness, glory, and beauty. Remind you of anybody? Ah, yeah, that's right. We're going to see it over and over again. So let's take these pieces of of the garments one one garment at a time we're going to point out point out some important things and we're going to just read each section and then talk about it and yes well it's interesting on god you know we we can't go to him except for prepared but i mean god the creator of the universe knows our names yes knows our relationship knows yes our absolutely and that's that's amazing yeah so that's that's a good point lyle because when we talk about we talk about in this context we talk about you can't come before God as a sinner you can't that that doesn't mean that God isn't pursuing relationship with each individual sinner it doesn't mean God doesn't know your name God doesn't know your family doesn't know your struggles doesn't know your doesn't know your sins he uh, God the creator who is holy and unapproachable by sinners also pursues sinners which is the reason he sent his son to die on the cross so yeah that's a good point so the first piece, and if you have a question, a comment, anything, just raise your hand because I'm not going to stop. We're not going to get done in time if I don't. So um, the first piece was the ephod. You know what an ephod is? Ephod is actually a Hebrew word that's left untranslated in most translations, but it's basically just a tunic, you know, like you've seen a... You know, like a little, uh, I don't know, they look different. I guess uh, what I think of is like a poncho, you know, but that may not be what it, what it was. But he says, They shall make an ephod of gold, blue, scarlet, 
blue purple scarlet yarns of fine twisted linen skillfully worked it shall have two shoulder pieces now try to picture this as we're reading it because I don't have any pictures for you two shoulder pieces attached to its edges that it might be joined together so it's joined together by the two shoulder pieces and the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it and be one piece with it and this band is of gold blue purple scarlet yarns of fine twisted linen you shall take two onyx stones. What's an onyx stone? Anybody know? Black. Black, black stone. That's right. Uh, it's a precious gem, but it is black. And engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance. Um, I, I like the translation memorial better than remembrance. Yes. Uh, as stones of a memorial for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance or memorial. You shall make settings of gold filigree, which is the things, the two chains of pure gold twisted like cords that you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. So there's chains connected to the shoulder pieces, connected to the stones that are that are set in the shoulder pieces. So as we said, an ephod is basically just a tunic made out of the same, again, made out of the same material as the inner curtain of the temple, fine linen, blue, scarlet, purple, all those twisted threads. And besides the basic instructions about how to put this ephod together, the text really in describing the ephod puts an emphasis on what? On the stones. It talks more about the stones than it does about anything else. About these jewels and these golden shoulder pieces where the jewels are set. And on these two stones are what? The names, the names of the tribes of Israel. And we're told why this is in verse 12. What's it for? Memorial. Stones of memorial for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders for a memorial, for remembrance. Uh, so the stones were to represent and commemorate, I guess you could say, Israel, all of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. So think about this. Aaron is to bear the names of Israel in God's presence. He is to bear, God, he is, for lack of a way to put it, he's to bear Israel on his shoulders when he comes before the Lord, when he offers sacrifices, when he ministers, when he does those things. Uh, as the high priest went into the presence of the Lord with the proper sacrifices, he carried all of Israel on his shoulders. He was representing the people of Israel before the Lord. All the nation was just embodied before God in this one man, God's priest, a mediator between the people and between God. But not only did, did the high priest carry the people before God on his shoulders, he also carried them over his heart when he went into the tabernacle. So on the ephod, Moses is told to make what's called a breast piece 
If your translation says breastplate, you get the wrong idea thinking it's metal or something. It's fabric. In verse 15 it says, You shall make settings of... Oh no, sorry. You shall make a breast piece of judgment. Some of your translations will say discernment or making decisions. Uh, this breast piece of judgment and skilled work, there's a reason for that. We'll get to it. In the style of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, yarn, fine twisted linen, same thing we've seen before. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. You know how much a span is in the Bible? Anybody know? Grown man from thumb, tip of the thumb to the tip of the pinky finger. That's a that's a span. So a span of width, span of length. It's about yay big, I guess you'd say. And so you shall set it and in this breastplate. Uh, stop it. <laughs> My span is big enough. <laughs> it shall be square and doubled and span its length, span its breadth. And then he says to him, You shall set in it, in this breast piece that was on the ephod, on the front of the ephod, you shall set in it four rows of stones. A row of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row. The second row, an emerald, sapphire, diamond. Third row, a jacinth, agate, and amethyst. And the fourth row, beryl, onyx, and jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree, which was gold settings. There shall be 12 stones, and on each stone would be one name, the name of one tribe. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. You shall make for the best breastpiece twisted chains like cords. This is what held the breastpiece on. Uh, and you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the, of the breastpiece. And you shall put two cords of gold in the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. The two ends of the cord you shall attach to the two settings of the filigree and so attach it to the front shoulder pieces. See what he's saying? He's saying make two cords, make four rings, two cords. Attach two cords to the shoulder filigrees and attach them to the breastplate so it sits right here on the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastpiece and on its inside edge next to the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and attach them in the front to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod as a, as a seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod and they shall bind the breast piece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with the lace blue with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breast piece shall not come loose from the ephod it's a whole lot in there let me read one more verse so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. Now, in the breast... Yes? Wouldn't that be all heavy? With all these stones? And... It might. She asked if it would be heavy. I guess it depended on how big the stones were. We don't really know. I mean, you see, see pictures like in books or Bible dictionaries, but they're all artist renderings, you know, that nobody had a camera. So some of them, some of them have big old stones like this. Some of them have little stones. Uh, it, it very well could have been heavy. I'm sure the whole tunic was heavy because you got the things on the shoulders and yeah. it, it very well could have been. Surely they made them small for him. Maybe so. I'm not sure. 
So in the breastpiece were 12 stones with each tribe of Israel written on it, arranged in four rows. Now, when you look at the stones, the, the gems, the Hebrew terms of some of these stones are kind of hard to translate. So in different English ver translations, you may have them translated different ways. Uh, I mean, diamond's easy, sapphire's easy, topaz easy. Uh, but there's a couple, two or three in there that, are, that might be something different in your, um, in, in your English translation. But it is worth noting that almost every single one of these stones was number one found in the Garden of Eden. We're told that in Ezekiel 28:13. I looked up the reference this week. Ezekiel 28:13, when he's talking to the king of Tyre, he said, You were there, and all these stones were there. And where else are they found? In, in the New Jerusalem. That's right. Revelation 21, 19 through 20. Now, based on you know different translations, different whatever, some of them are different, but almost all of them are number one in the garden, number two now on the priest, and number three in the new city. What does that tell you? Very important. They're important, but they're they're also pointing to something. They're pointing to they're pointing to a fulfillment. Um, so what does verse 29 tell us is the reason for these stones in the breastpiece? A memorial. Aaron will carry Israel not just on his shoulders, but on his heart before God. The high priest carries the people on his shoulders. He carries the people over his heart. You see the point? So... You get this picture in the garments that God told Moses to make for the high priest. And you get this picture of these garments are here to show you, well, one, the holiness of God, their holy garments, the glory of God, the beauty of God, but also the duty of the high priest of the God of Israel, his job was to carry all of Israel into the presence of God, to make sacrifice for all of Israel, to represent Israel to God, to represent God to Israel. He was the mediator. He would bear the people upon himself before the frightening and terrifying holiness of God as he does all of his ministerial duties uh, on their behalf. So when he lights the lampstand, he's doing it on behalf of all Israel. When he makes the sacrifice, he's doing it on behalf of all Israel. When he's doing all of the duties that God is going to tell the priests to do in the tabernacle and in the Holy of Holies, he's doing it on behalf of all Israel. They're holy, they're glorious, they're beauty, beautiful, and he is the mediator. But there's a big problem here, isn't there? Aaron is a sinner. If you don't believe me, wait around for a few chapters. We're going to see it. No matter how fancy the clothes or what meaning is imbued in the garments and the jewels and the gold and the filigree and the purple and scarlet linen and all, underneath it all, Aaron and his sons, two of which are going to die in Leviticus 10, and all of the priests that came after him, they were not holy. They were not righteous, even when they put on the holy garments. So what is the point of these garments? What do they point to? Jesus. 
They point to the picture of the true high priest who is going to come, who will be holy, who will carry his people on his shoulders, who will carry his people before God on his heart. Um, the duties for the high priest in the tabernacle, the holy, holy place and the holy of holies, are the very things that Jesus has done for His people in the real heavenly tabernacle. And I don't just say that because I think it's a cool idea. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. This is Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 8-2. It says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Look at it. Holy, innocent, perfect meaning, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, he has no need like the other high priests, like those high priests, to offer sacrifice daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people. We'll see as we get along that when the high priest was to go in on the Day of Atonement, he couldn't walk into the Holy of Holies just because he got a garment on. He had to make sacrifice for himself first. And then he could go and make sacrifice for the people. Jesus didn't need to do that. And he says he didn't need to do that since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men, look at this, this high priest. The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point, this is the point, verse chapter 8 verse 1 in Hebrews. Now the point of what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister, a servant, uh, one who is serving, as the high priest does, in the holy places, in the true tent. What's the word for tent? Tabernacle. In the true tabernacle that the Lord set up, not man. Jesus carries His people upon His shoulders before God. By His own perfect sacrifice. He carries His people over His heart as He makes atonement for our sin. Represents us before the Holy God. Hebrews 4 says we have a high priest that is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows our heart. He carries those things, uh, uh, carries us uh, over His heart. These garments pointed to the reality of the only true high priest that would come, Jesus Christ. Now, hang on just a minute. Jesus didn't wear an ephod, did He? He didn't wear onyx stones on His shoulders. He didn't wear jewels on His breastpiece. In fact, he, he never had all these things on. He wasn't the high priest as far as the, as far as the Jews were concerned when he was walking around in, in Galilee and Jerusalem. He had no jewels on him. He had no gold. He had no fine linen. When he made his sacrifice, he was naked on the cross. Why? That's correct. He didn't need it. And why? Because he was God. Jesus in his nature was in reality what these things symbolized. You remember how God described the garments? They're holy garments. They're beautiful garments. They're for glory. You know, the reason the priest wore them was for glory and for beauty, it said. And they were holy garments. Jesus needed no ephod because Jesus is those things. 
He is holy. He is glorious. He is beautiful. He is the nature of God. The high priest had to dress in the ephod and all of these things to represent these things before God. Jesus, who is God by nature, needed not represent these things. He is these things. So they pointed to Him. His priestly work, Jesus' priestly work on our behalf is accepted because He is holy. He is perfect. He is the high priest to whom all of these garments pointed to. Any questions, comments? Yep. So, but the jewels with Israel's names on them weren't the only thing in the ephod or in the breastpiece, excuse me. There was something else in there. You know what they were? Yeah, that's correct. The, the, I, I, I always called them Urim and Thummim, but that may not be the right pronunciation. I know Thummim's, Thummim is the right pronunciation, but some people say Urim. Urim and Thummim or Urim and Thummim. So it says, and in the breastpiece of judgment, or the breastpiece, this is why it's called the breastpiece of, some translations say decision or uh, of making decisions. And uh, the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people, or what does the NIV say right there? Means of making a decision of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Now these are important uh, because there's a lot of misconceptions about them. They were the 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 Urim and Thummim. I'm going to stumble over those all night. They were they were decision making tools to get direct guidance about God's will. Now the words Urim and Thummim mean light and perfection in Hebrew. Um, but honestly, the Bible never describes exactly what they are and never describes exactly how that they're used. So there's all kinds of speculation about their nature and how you use them and what they did. Some people say they're made of stone. Some people say they're made of jewels. Some say that they had words on them, yes and no, and you threw them like holy dice to see which one came up. Um, Honestly, we don't we don't know. We don't know. The Bible does not tell us anything about the Urim and the Thummim. And to be honest, I'm glad that the Bible doesn't tell us. You know what would happen if it told them how to make the Urim and Thummim? What would happen? We'd be making them and we'd be rolling dice trying to figure out what God wants us to do. I guarantee you we'd be doing that. Now, the, the Urim and the Thummim were used, they were used, and here's another misconception, they were used by Israel's leaders to discern the will of God. So you have several examples. When Joshua succeeded Moses, um, it says in Numbers 27 that he was given access to the Urim and Thummim when he would go to the high priest. Uh, King Saul you know, consulted them when he wanted to know how the battle is going to turn out with the Philistines in 1 Samuel. David consulted them in 1 Samuel 23. They're also mentioned in Nehemiah. So it's clear from what we can see of their usage in the Bible, these are not just magic dice for every Israelite who had a question that they want to get an answer to. You know, am I going to ever find true love? You know, that, that's, not, that's not how it worked. They were, they, were for the, they were for the leaders of Israel to guide the nation. 
Um, they were used for consequential decisions uh, that just required direct guidance from God. Before God's full revelation in His Word and sending His Son was given, Israel was given these things as a grace. As a grace to discern God's will, to follow God's will. But after Jesus is coming, the writer of the Hebrews writes to the Israelites, Israelite believers, Israelite Christians. And he says to them in the very first verse of his book, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us. Perfect tense. He has spoken, completed action by his son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So, Jesus is the full revelation of God. Jesus is the last word regarding how humanity is to be right with God, how are they to walk with God, how are they to have a relationship with God, how they are to obey God. Jesus is the final word. We need no other revelation. But, as we know... There are other things that we need to decide as we follow the Lord, right? Where, where, where do you want me to live, God? You know, who should I marry? What school should I go to? What, what do I do about my kids? What, well, where should I invest my time? Is this ministry the one I'm called into? Lots and lots of decisions. You know, you get offered a job and you pray, God, is this what you want me to do? Lots of everyday decisions that have to be made. How do we discern God's will today? Man, that's, there's like five things. It should be easy. Holy Spirit is one, for sure. His, the Word of God. Prayer. Two more I'm looking for. Wise counsel. One more. Opportunities. Providence. Yeah, God's providence. So let's walk through those real quick. The Word of God is the number one. The number one. So if you feel like the Spirit is moving you to do something, if it is opposed to the Word of God, it's not the Spirit talking to you. It's somebody else. Maybe you had too much grease before you went to bed. That was a joke. It's okay. That's my go-to line when people say, well, I had a dream. That I was, Maybe you just ate too much pizza before you went to bed. The Word of God is the number one. It is the plumb line by which all other things are measured. So, yes, maybe the Holy Spirit is leading you to whatever, but you will be able to confirm it and see it in a principle or a teaching or a word from the Lord, from the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you know the verse. It says, All Scriptures God breathed. It's profitable for rebuke and teaching and instruction, training in righteousness. And then a lot of people leave off or don't memorize verse, the end of verse 17. So that, say it. That's right. Complete. Yeah. Complete. So that, the, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So when someone says, well, no, the Bible's not enough. Well, tell me what good work the Bible doesn't equip me for. Because it says, Scripture will equip me for every good work. Every good work. It is the infallible authority. And it is the plumb line. So I, as a past, pastor and counseling I can't tell you the number of people that say, well, I think God's telling me, well, your God may be telling you that, but He's not the God of the Bible. Okay, so the Word of God is the number one plumb line. You, you, you measure everything by it. The second, of course, is the Spirit of God. 
He does lead his children. He does guide. He does. Uh, he, he, the main thing in just decision making in my life is that through experience, he applies the word of God to me. You know, so the Spirit will maybe leading me to whatever, uh, but he will give me a word from the word of God and say, "This is this is for you." You know, and uh, there are times when there are some that say. Well, you don't really need the Spirit's leading because if, you know, if the Spirit tells you to witness to somebody, the Word already tells you that, so you don't need it. But in the moment, you know, you can be stopped in your tracks walking through an airport and you, and you just know something's happening and somebody comes up to you and you have an opportunity and the Spirit brings it just, it's right there in your face. And it's just, all of a sudden, you're not thinking about catching your plane. You're thinking about... This is a witness opportunity. This is uh, I think that's the Spirit leading. I think that's the Spirit guiding. Now, the Spirit will never contradict the Word. So, But we do have the Spirit indwelt in us. He lives in us. So while many people would want some spiritual dice to throw to figure out, or a spiritual magic eight ball. You remember the magic eight ball? You turn it over? Yeah. You turn it we have something so much better. We have God Himself indwelling us. Illuminating His Word to us. I can't tell you how many times... Uh, and I'm, I'm going to go way over time. Um, I can't tell you how many times I would come across... I, I'd have this question on my mind. God, what do you want me to do You know, right here? I've got a decision to make. I can go A. I can go B. Neither one of these are sinful. Neither one of these... Either one could be good. Either one might be right. I don't know which one to do. I can't tell you how many times just in keeping myself in the Word and daily feeding myself the Word that, that God brought me right to the exact Scripture that I absolutely needed to make that decision. Vision, uh, and it was because of the Holy Spirit's illumination of the Word. I had read the passage that one of the passages that brought me to Kansas, or that showed me that God, you know, was it was God's will for me to move to Kansas, was a passage I had read eight thousand times, preached on ten times, knew inside and out. But it was a passage that was applied differently to me. The interpretation was the same, but the application of it was different to me when the Holy Spirit said, okay, here's your, here it is. This is what you should do. Questions, comments? You can take that too far. Now, there's a lot of people saying, Holy Spirit told me to do this, and Holy Spirit told me to do that, and you can take that way too far. So the Word is always the plumb line. Third thing was mentioned before, prayer. Bible gives you the promise. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives freely. Yeah. So, God, I need wisdom right here. What do you need to do? It's a promise. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. And you have the word. Proverbs is a book all about wisdom for living. You know, wise counsel. We talked about wise counsel. It, it, you get wise counsel from other believers. We need each other. We need to lean on each other. We need to hear. Uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit will speak through someone else to me and confirm the Word of God in, in you know in a applicable way that I hadn't thought of. Uh, and finally, providence through circumstances, God will show you His will. Uh, but it's always measured by the Word. Be real careful about that. So, if, you're, if you say, God, if you want me to move to Arkansas, let this light turn green before I get there. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
that's that's wrong don't do that 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 is not providence that's not how god operates and a lot of people point to um what was the guy the fleece who is it who is it uh gideon 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 the fleece i'm gonna tell you what gideon was wrong to do what he did god blessed him god gave him grace but he was wrong i mean can you imagine God, do it this way. Okay, I did it. Okay, now do it again the other way. Okay, now do it again another. No. We're told over and over again, faith, trust, trust God. Trust Him. He will do it. And when God opens the door, you, you, you can feel confident if it, it aligns with the Word, if the Spirit is moving you in that direction, and circumstances, providence opens the door for you, you can feel confident in faith to walk through it, knowing, God, I've done the best I could pray to seek your will to seek counsel and then finally you just make a decision you make a decision and that's the decision god is in control of all things so what do you do this has nothing to do with the priestly garments but what do you do when you say you know god i've done all these things i prayed i've been praying for weeks I've searched the Word every single day, and I'm in the Word, and I'm trying to find your will for this. I've sought counselors who all disagree with each other. Uh, I don't see your providence at work right now in exactly what I should do. What do you do when you're unsure of God's will? What? You persevere like crazy. You persevere? <laughs> you wait. That's exactly right. You wait. You wait. If you, if you have done all of those things, and you still have no clear direction, God's telling you to wait. He's saying, wait. Wait on my timing. Wait on my timing. Do His will as far as you know what His will is. And wait for His timing. Now, the rest of these is... Let's see, what's next? The robe. You shall make a robe of ephod of all blue. It shall have... Um, an opening for the head in the middle of it, a, a woven binding around the opening like the opening in a garment so that it may not tear. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns about its hem with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate uh, around, around the hem of the robe. And then it says, And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, when he serves in the temple, in the uh, tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out. And look why. So he does not die. <laughs> now that's pretty interesting, isn't it? So verse 35 tells us these little pomegranates and little bells around the bottom of this robe that he wore. They... Uh, <laughs> They, uh, well, it, it didn't matter if he thought it was dorky or not. He saved his life. Yeah. Now, look, you have to remember, the high priest had the most dangerous job in all of Israel. His life was in jeopardy every time he walked into the tabernacle. Every single time to minister before the Lord. He very well could die. And, and, and he could die very easily uh, with one. We're going to see. Uh, I mean, I'm giving away. I ain't got time to go through the whole thing, but I'm giving away the end. The priests had to wear the right underwear or they would die. Oh, 
Oh. I mean, it's serious. This is serious. And his clothes gave off a warning. Every time he walked, you'd hear the bells ring. Now, this has also led many people to say that the bells were for the benefit of the people, so as long as they could hear the bells tinkling when he's in there, they, they would know that he hadn't died. But that's not, that's not correct. That's not right. So, for the one time a year that the high priest went into the actual Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16.4 tells us that on that day, he didn't wear the robe or the ephod or anything. He just wore a tunic. Uh, so the bells weren't for people to hear to make sure he's still alive. The bells were for God. The bells were for God to hear. The priest's garment announced that he was coming into God's royal presence, his holy presence. And if those bells weren't tinkling as he came in, he would die. God would, God would strike him dead. Every, think about it. Every move that the priest made, you couldn't go from one place to the other without walking. You couldn't go to the lampstand without making a move. You couldn't go to the table of showbread. Without, every move he made reminded him of the holiness and the gravity and the danger of being this near to the presence of God to enter into the holy place, the tabernacle at large, without these bells, was to die. I mean, it was that serious. You've got to hurry up. Next is a turban. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord. That would be on a plate on his forehead on the turban. You shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. Uh, it shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted. That they may be accepted by the Lord. See that? So we already know that when the people sinned, what did they do? They brought, they brought sacrifices. That's what it means when it says they bring their holy gifts, their sacrifices to cover their sin, to atone for their sin, the commands that God had given. But the priest was the one who actually offered the sacrifices, presented them to God and offered them. And for the sacrifice to be accepted, it had to be offered by a holy priest. So that's what the signet on the turban was for. It showed that the priest was regarded by God as holy to the Lord. That's what it said, holy to the Lord on his forehead. Sign on his forehead symbolized the declaration of God that this is his chosen priest who is able to offer sacrifice to cover their sins. That's why it says he's going to wear this when the people come and bring their holy gifts. And it's going to be regularly on his forehead so that they may be accepted before the Lord. So this turban with this, this uh, some of your translations may say crown or something else, but it, it had holy to the Lord upon it. And then finally... We had this robe, uh, they had this, this checker work uh, coat, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and this, uh, and this sash. So you shall weave the coat in checker work of fine linen, you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. There's not really much said about those, just more garments that he, that he was to write. The last verses we're going to look at, it says... These are not the high priest's garments, but all the other priests. It says, For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them look, same thing, for glory and beauty. 
And you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs and they shall be on Aaron and on Aaron's sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place. Here's why. Underwear better be on right, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring. So what the other priests wore was similar to the high priest, but it was simpler. It's basically the same tunic without the without the jewels and without the you know without all that stuff. God's command, God commands this because he wants all of his priests to be holy, to be clothed with glory and beauty, and to be holy before the Lord, as he says in, in verse 41. Now in Exodus 29, when we finally get to it, he's going to tell us how the priests are anointed and consecrated and ordained and all that kind of stuff. But make sure you see this. God's holiness is unyielding. It was important that the priests represent God's holiness that he told them, it was so important that he told them what kind of underwear to wear. Linen, linen underwear from hip to thigh. So they're to wear these garments from hip to thigh so you won't die, he says. Now the garments, all these garments we talked about tonight point to God's holiness. The necessary, the, nece the necessity of of being holy, of being righteous, of representing that holiness rightly when you come before God. Listen, Israel's salvation depended on whether or not God accepted their priest. He had to come a certain way, dressed a certain way, representing a certain way, with all of these things exactly how God told him to make them. If God did not accept their priest, then they would all die in their sin for the sacrifices wouldn't be accepted. And the same is true for us today. Coming into God's presence, it's always a matter of life and death. And there's only one priest who has fulfilled every single requirement absolutely perfectly holy before the Lord and with complete and perfect assurance that this priest is holy before the Lord, is clothed in glory and beauty, and His sacrifice has been accepted once and for all. Amen. Questions, comments, cries of outrage? Yes? Do you think there are any um, relics, original pieces of these stacks somewhere, or do you think they might have been destroyed when they went into captivity? Mm, I don't know the answer. Uh, he asked if there were any relics or pieces of these, maybe stashed away somewhere, or hidden. Or, uh, I... I don't know. I hope not. Uh, anything, anything that I mean, and Middle Ages prove this. Anything that remotely is a piece of anything that could have been, it was venerated, worshipped, it was imbued with all, the, you know, whatever. So I hope not. I hope not because if let me tell you something. If they found the breast piece and it had the jewels in it with the names of Israel, that don't change nothing for me. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the fulfillment, and I'm not going back to I'm not going back to wearing wearing jewels and sacrificing animals. Yes. When I was in Israel, I was told that they had everything in place to 
if the temple was built to start offering sacrifices,